When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Media station. It's Reaction Monday. Tell us all about it. Two bowling caught at the 21 yard line. Xavier Ledev with back to back catches. And he's got the game back since I was 25. Sponsored by Carolina Honda Powerhouse. Your local Honda superstore for motorcycles, ATVs, side by sides, scooters, and generators. CarolinaHonda.com. Your home of the Gamecocks in the Midlands. 1075 The Game. Also heard on the Grand Strand at 100.3 The Game. And in the PD at 100.5 The Game in Florence. Even better than I was the last time, baby. Ooh, 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 ooh. We back. I'm And welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, Wes, and Chris, along with you on this Reaction Monday. And for the first time in over a month, we're finally able to say that we are reacting to a Gamecocks win. South Carolina Gamecocks win, that is, as they defeat Jacksonville State 38-28 to on Saturday, moving themselves to 3-6 and six on the season with a still goal of getting to all eligibility out there in front of them over the course of these next three weeks. This is the part where we talk. Yes, it is. <laughs> I. Uh, so you know how sometimes coaches are, are very guilty of using the press conference and the teleconference as spin mode. Spin mode. Like basically... Coaches know it's all about recruiting. It's all about uh, kind of perception of your program. Sure. And I, I was really trying to, especially after watching the game live on Saturday, it's like, man, how do you frame this game up? And rewatching the game Sunday, I was like, how do you frame this game up? And then, you know, listening to the Beamer teleconference on Sunday evening, I thought he actually framed it up perfectly with um, with actually no no coach speak spin whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think with this, you're going to have, once again, maybe some people who fall on both sides of this line of like, hey, a win is a win is a win. Celebrate it. Quit overthinking it. And then you are going to have some of the people that I think Beamer was sort of speaking towards in the initial press conference when, you know, people that won't be able to enjoy the win at all because of kind of how it played out. And, you know, I, I think the nuance of it is, and and kind of paraphrasing what Beamer was saying on Sunday, South Carolina won the game. They made enough plays to win the game. And especially when it has been as long as it has been since you've won a game, and especially if you're in that locker room, you're the guys who are busting their tails to try and win a football game. You know, this is kind of like what we talked about late last week. The difference between being on the outside looking in and the difference between being the guys literally in there in the locker room living this. If you're a South Carolina football player, 
you absolutely should enjoy when you win games. And um, for those 24 hours, I think you do absolutely celebrate the heck out of it because wins are not easy to come by in football. Now, the other side of the nuance that's absolutely true in my opinion and something Beamer himself said and admitted is if South Carolina is going to have that magical 4-for-4 November, they're going to have to play a lot better than they did on on Saturday. And they're going to have to clean a lot of stuff up. And really, frankly, it's at all three phases uh, of the game. So so, so my sort of just headline for the whole thing is celebrate the win – don't don't sit there and not count the win. You won the game. But you know, you you could probably beat Vanderbilt not playing all that well, but you're not going to beat Kentucky or Clemson playing the way South Carolina did on Saturday. Yeah, and there was so much um <clears throat> talk after after Beamer's press conference on Saturday, right, about his comments, the miserable existence comments, etc. created a lot of stir, right? You go Insiders Forum on Gamecock Central, Tyler, I'm sure y'all have heard some already. We've we've heard some here on the station, social media. I know Wes and I were getting a lot of texts about that, right, talking about that. So if you listen to that and had a take on it, I get, I get that part, right? That's fair game for discussion. But the Sunday teleconference sometimes goes a little bit like, um, I don't know, it's just a little bit more under the radar because it's not right after a game. It's not as widely disseminated. Not everybody even knows about not it. Even, yeah, like. Not everybody knows about it. 6.15 on Sundays. YouTube.com uh, slash Gamecock. <laughs> yeah, we got it every week. And I I actually like listening to the Sunday teleconference, usually more than the post-game press conference. The emotions have worn off. We know Shane Beamer wears his emotions on his sleeve, right? So he's going to say some things after games, win or loss. But Sunday, they've gone back, they've watched the film. A lot of times there's more of, Hey, we actually watched the film. This is what we've seen. This is what we figured out. So there's some really good knowledge in there. But I think if you had a take on Saturday, completely fair. Maybe you said, I love the comments. Like Wes said, maybe you said, I hated the comments. Thought they were ridiculous. Totally fine. Get get that. But listen to Sunday as well. Because I think with the emotion removed from it, going back, watching the tape, taking a look at it, Beamer sounded a little, he, he definitely sounded different from Saturday. Mm-hmm. I think he sounded different overall just in talking about the team. Um, he was asked some – for people who want to do the whole ask some tough questions thing, he got a couple tough questions. Is this a well-coached team? Has the defense progressed? And I thought he gave pretty honest assessments of uh, on his answers to those questions. Yeah, he, he did, man. And, um, you know, I, I think – listening to him talk what the film showed was yes we we made enough plays to win the game but uh, I think uh, just listening to his tone and his answers the film also showed you know some some situations where guys just did not do what they were maybe coached to do and you know I I think if if you kind of look at the coaching versus talent and this this sort of ongoing conversation I think fans of every team have. Is it coaching? Is it development? Is it talent? And, um, you know, it's one of those things. I'm sure there are 100 things on film where they're saying, hey, well, we we coached them to do this, and it, it just did not happen. 
And then I, I think something Beamer alluded to in the teleconference, which I think it is fair and something, frankly, fans probably want to hear, was he kind of alluded to, all right, well, um, but then ultimately does it come back to, all right, why mm. are they not doing what they're being coached to do? And ultimately that falling on the staff. So so there is that constant, you know, I'm sure there's been multiple times where they've watched the film and been like, we 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 went over this ten thousand yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, how where is the disconnect? And so that I think one thing we always talk about too. That's why football is such a beautiful game. That's why there's all these different opinions though, is because the answer is truly never one particular thing. It's almost always a combination of all these things. But the 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 sort of thing you have to try to do is figure out what what is the biggest thing, what is the biggest factor involved here. We obviously talked so much about Jacksonville State last week and leading up into this game, but based on what all of our score predictions were, we thought South Carolina should be able to win this game in that 14 to 17 point range. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, up 31 to 28, just under two and a half minutes to go, Jacksonville State's in the red zone. They'd driven all the way down the field after South Carolina had gotten the uh, gotten the field goal to take the lead before Stone Blanton has the pick six to ultimately seal the game for South Carolina, what was your level of confidence on Carolina winning that game at that point in time? Did you think they were going to be able to hold them off? So that was on a second down, right? I think the first down play, well, they got stuffed. I think it was like a one-yard loss on a run. So I think that was a, a second and 11, I want to say. I think it was a second down. And so, yeah, I mean, that did not look favorable. For South Carolina, right? You felt like they would probably be able to get the football back. But Jackson and, and Beamer said it, I think, on, on Sunday. They drove down the field a lot faster than you would want them to, right? Ideally, they don't drive down the field at all. But they did it quickly. And you're sitting there going, man, based on some of these chunk plays, you don't feel like this is a field goal to tie it situation. You feel like they, they might be going in there to, sto- to score a mm-hmm. touchdown. So so not extremely high at that point, honestly. Yeah, well, I'll say this. When the drive started, I uh, and, and so they, they had the big um, amazing catch down, down the sideline, which I, I think um, that, that was the moment when you're really like, oh, this may, <laughs> this may go bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I do kind of wonder, if you're Jacksonville State, if you get it much further down the field, you, you may truly just be thinking – we're about to either lose or walk this thing off. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think, I don't even know, you know, if you're playing and you're two, like, really even teams or it's a conference game, you're probably saying, all right, um, you know, if we find a fourth down here, we'll we'll take the points and, and extend the game. If I'm Jacksonville State, I'm playing with house money. So uh, that's really when you sort of also have to worry about, if they, if they got that ball much further, that's when you have to worry about that, that one play that they've had in their back pocket all game that is complimentary to something they've been doing all game, basically. And, you know, they hit you with the roll to the right, throwback, tight end, <laughs> the, the play that seems the to dreaded. always... Yeah. Oh. You remember the Auburn... Um, oh, the late Phillip Luxenkirchen. Yes. Like... Notre Dame last year. Or, or yeah, or the, du- the double pass. <laughs> uh, you know, you're just waiting on them to make that call that they've been holding on to the entire time. I I felt like when Jacksonville State started moving the ball 
I was like, all right, this is either going to end in a South Carolina turnover because Jacksonville State is actually having to run kind of a two-minute, three-minute, four-minute type offense, or they're going to score. And my, my big concern from a South Carolina standpoint was can you avoid having another secondary bust? Because we've just seen so many balls down the field where guys, frankly, are in pretty good position for most of the play, but then they just have not made those plays on the ball like you would hope to see. And it seems like, as a team, their confidence is down when the ball is in the air down the field. Like, they've just had too many plays like that where the cover, the call is right, and they haven't finished those plays. And my my thought was, I think South Carolina can get some pressure on him when he's dropping, when he's having to drop back. But this would be the time where you just you really worry about having one more of those busts, and then you're in a two minute offense situation with all the pressure in the world, all the pressure on you. And it's not like uh, the offense played as well as I thought that they would in this game. You know, and I and I go back to the beginning of the game, and I have a, I have a stat on some of the the passing plays, Wes, for, for the after the break. But at the beginning of the game, you kind of got exactly the start that you wanted, right? You you stop them on a third and one, you score on your first possession, can't draw it up any better. Then you get a couple more stops where you play them well on first down. Now you got a couple stops, but the problem is you didn't play complimentary football and go down and score you had some quick three and outs you 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 couldn't stay on the field you couldn't even move the ball to really flip the field right Mm -hmm. and so I think that goes back to what you were talking about going into the game Wes and that this is a game you needed to jump on these guys early if it's 21 to nothing early in the second quarter instead of 14 to 14 yeah it's a nobody's sitting there sweating through that game it is a totally different ball game yeah I want to explore that a little bit more but I think there's a lot there so Maybe we'll yeah. hit that on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. We'll continue to react. We'll hear some uh, some of what Coach Beamer, as well as some of the players, had to say as well coming away from Saturday's game. Is Reaction Monday's Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game? Yeah, that was pretty special. Um, you know, we kind of had studied that play a lot during the week. We had seen it before. It was FSL. Back was kind of looking over there, so I knew we were about to get the wheel route through it and caught it and then just kind of took off and I don't know. It's kind of a surreal moment. <laughs> Saw Debo at the end. We started kind of celebrating. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Weston, Chris, along with you. That, of course, was the voice of Stone Blanton talking about his uh, game ceiling pick six on Saturday against Jacksonville State. Want to let you know it's a very busy day here on 107.5 The Game to have the women's basketball team live from Paris coming up. A pregame coverage at 1230, tip off at 1 o'clock against number 10 at Notre Dame, getting their season rolling. Then coming up tonight at 7 o'clock, the men's basketball team in action taking on USC Upstate. Pre-game coverage starting at 6.30. Tip for that game and their season coming at 7 o'clock. Uh, going back to Stone there and that pick six, um, we were talking about that in a little bit in the last segment where, you know, Jacksonville State's driving. Certainly thought they might punch it in for a touchdown there where, where you're then putting your offensive position have to go down the field and get a touchdown themselves to win the game. And he mentioned reading that wheel route there. When you go back and watch the replay, if, if he's a step too slow on that, they score a touchdown on that play. And then, again, you're giving your offense basically a two-minute drill to go down the field and, and score another touchdown uh, to win the game. Stone Blanton had, had, hadn't had the best game um, on Saturday, and, and if 
we're being honest, the one area that he struggles in the most is in pass coverage, but, you know, was in the right position for that, able to take in for a touchdown. And again, at the end of the day, a win's a win, but certainly plenty of areas to uh, clean up coming away from Saturday, especially defensively. Yeah, great instinctual play there by Stone. And, you know, I, I think that's one of those plays, and, and we see the, you know, the wheel route traditionally is a very difficult route to cover. Um, you know, if they catch you in the coverage they want you in, you know, kind of from an offensive standpoint. And so I, I think the beauty of that play for Stone is it, it's kind of like y'all remember the play to Anaya Smith against Texas A&M. N- not the same concept whatsoever, but, you know, Beamer was asked about that play, and he was like, was, was that a bust? And he's like, it's not really a bust, but it was just that one of South Carolina's defenders got caught up in what you call the trash, like all the traffic. And that play is designed, this wheel route, much like that play to Anai Smith was, to where if he's got the running back in coverage, he's having to work through all these different bodies. And all it takes, because everybody's running full speed, right? All it takes is one guy to sort of create that natural pick, and that running back is wide open. And so Stone did a fantastic job of getting to that spot, did a fantastic job of kind of having great uh, peripheral vision and awareness of, of where he was on the field. And, um, you know, to not only get to the the running back, but to get to the football and get to that spot. And, um, you know, got, got rewarded for it and just made the tr- truly a game-saving interception there for South Carolina, which is really... Hey, when, when you're in a situation like that at the end of the game, generally that is what it comes down to. It's either does their guy make a play or does your guy make a play because you're kind of in desperation mode on, on offense. So you, you're going to put the ball up. You're going to put the ball in danger at times. We've seen that on the South Carolina perspective. You're trying to come back and you're trying to make something happen. So you really don't want to take a sack. You don't want to sort of just let the game end on downs where, uh, you know, nothing happens. So you're going to have an opportunity to make a play. And uh, kudos to Stone for being the guy to make the play and for having a short memory. I mean, it it would be easy to kind of get down on yourself a little bit the way this game played out, uh, you know, as far as the defense is concerned. But he did not. He was there to make a play. Yeah, you go back and look at that play. He made a a really quick read. And then, as you you said, Tyler, got to the spot and – Carolina had sent a pressure there. I think they were in – it looked like they were in just straight man coverage, maybe one high, but everybody was manned up. So it looked like Stone had the running back, and he he seemed to recognize what was coming immediately and, and got to a really good spot. Quarterback was under some pressure, got actually hammered during that play, and so I think he got rid of it maybe a little bit more quickly than he would have wanted to. And so it, it was a great play. But, look, guys, we talked – about coming into this game about how turnovers are going to be so significant and they ended up being really significant four turnovers um, that rpo you know because it's like you could fit them sorry about that oh no worries Debo just wants to interrupt yeah i thought you maybe had a a little context you were adding in the middle there no that was my elbow hitting the mouse sorry (laughs) no worries but yeah i mean four turnovers so you had the the punt uh the odd kind of punt play where i guess the the punter jack dawson Shout out Titanic reference. <laughs> um, he he looked like he thought he was going to get it blocked, and so he took off. You had another one, guys, where uh, obviously the biggest one was 
you know, the interception that was the pick six. There was the, the you know, last drive interception by O'Donnell Fortune. Really good play by him. And then you had another one that was very consequential being the play at, at about midfield mm-hmm. where JT Keir comes and, and strips the ball out from the Jacksonville State running back. Those all ended up being really, really big because, I mean, other than the beginning of the game, go back to what we were talking about in segment one, the beginning of the game, Jacksonville State, they go, I think, three and out. South Carolina scores. And then I think you had two to three more drives before Jacksonville State scored. There wasn't a lot of early success, but they ended up finding it. They were able to run the ball. They were able to hit some explosive plays. So you really ended up needing those turnovers in this game. One of the big issues was, so Jacksonville State scored, what, four touchdowns in this game, right? 28 points. On three of the drives, separately, South Carolina gave up third-down conversions that weren't even just third-down conversions, but they were chunk plays. 31 yards, 37 yards, and 54 yards. The 54-yarder, I believe, was on the third and two where they throw a touchdown pass over your head. So... They're moving the ball. They're hitting explosive plays. You ended up needing every single one of those turnovers in this game, I think. I didn't get a chance to go back and listen. What did we set the number at for buy or sell last Friday when it came to turnovers? Was it three? It was three, three. or more. And I think Chris and I sold. Wes, are you the only one that brought? I know I bought that one because I, that was also my in-game prediction right. for Gamecock Central. I thought so. I bought just three, but Maybe I could you be bought wrong. Three. I think, we'll check I think the tape I on sold. That. Because and and Wes, you mentioned this on Friday. Sometimes these just th- these kind of things come in bunches. And yes, you haven't had one in over a month, but you were due at some point, and they all came together: two inter- interceptions and two fumbles. And as Chris said, you needed all those to win that game on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think, man, sometimes when you face a team that is a little bit um, overmatched, although Jacksonville State was game for an upset, you know, like they did not back down. But when you face a team that's overmatched you do kind of lend yourself to to potentially being able to force a few more of those. And I really thought South Carolina might be able to put Jacksonville State in a position where Zion Webb was going to have to drop back and throw the football. Um, You know, to an extent that was the case, but not really even when I said that to the extent that I was thinking it might be. I really thought, you know, when South Carolina scores on that first drive and made it look so easy and the defense had gotten a stop, I was sitting there thinking – that this may be this may be a blowout by the end of the first quarter, mm-hmm. and I, I was I was honestly a little bit surprised that the offense stalled out as much as it did in that first half. You know, Jacksonville State we talked about it, statistically actually was a really good defense coming into this game, but you really thought South Carolina would probably be able to have success, and, and they did through the air. But I thought you know Mario Henderson has that long run very early on the first drive 40 yards yeah and at that point I'm like all right they're throwing the ball on them they're running the ball on them this is going to be a long day for Jacksonville State's defense and then of course what happens that run game element sort of just disappeared Mm -hmm. for um, for a lot of the game moving forward and so then you're right back to kind of being this offense that is heavily reliant on big plays and and in this case it was can Leggett make a big play for you and so that's why I think the offense sort of just bogged down. If they had ran the ball with any consistency for the rest of the first half, I don't even think I don't even think this is a ball game at all. So once again, you kind of go back to complimentary football, and 
you know, the defense had its struggles. They, I mean, Jacksonville State had more first downs than South Carolina. Uh, defense gave up 10 of 19 on third downs. South Carolina offense 4 of 14 on third downs. A big part of that is going back to not being able to run the football. Um, of course, they threw for almost 400 yards, did South Carolina. But you, you expect to be able to run the ball for more than 89 against a you know non-conference opponent. We hear what Coach Beamer had to say about the offense as the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on Reaction Monday rolls along. Yep. Come back in, Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris along with you here on this Reaction Monday. A very busy Monday at that as, of course, we have the women's basketball team coming up live from Paris. Pre-game coverage starting at 12 o'clock, excuse me, 12.30, and then tip off against number 10 Notre Dame at 1 o'clock. And then the men's basketball team in action this evening taking on USC Upstate to start their season. Pre-game coverage starting at 6.30 uh, and then tip off against Upstate to start their season coming up at 7 o'clock. Talked a little bit about the offense in that last segment. You finally had a seemingly fully healthy Xavier Leggett back out there on Saturday, pulling in 217 yards and two touchdowns in the game against Jacksonville State. Uh, Xavier Leggett uh, responded uh, to his performance on Saturday in his postgame presser. Oh, man, I had to make up for the last two games, man. Uh, I felt like uh, I didn't play my best ball, and I felt like today uh, I felt like I was 100%. Oh, I had to go out there and ball. I couldn't have put it any better myself. Man, a few words, Xavier Leggett, but good to see him back seemingly at full health again. Yeah, I had to go out there and ball. I mean, that that sums it up. I, I think that, man, we, we got to appreciate, if you're a Gamecock fan, we got to appreciate what this guy is doing while we're witnessing it, while we're watching it. So impressive. And you're, you're start, you see all these kind of NFL accounts and the guys that, that follow this stuff and and cover it from a scouting standpoint. Guys that big should not be able to move that fast. And I, I think Chris, when teams look at X from a skill set evaluation standpoint, they're not going to just see, oh, he's big, he's fast, you know, he's well put together. They're going to say, man, this guy is a threat. In all aspects of the game. That can be the down the field, you know, throw it up, jump ball. That can be looking over your shoulder and, and catching the ball on the run. That can be catching the ball short and making stuff happen after the catch. You know, he, he's really just developed into a diverse wide receiver. Even your really good wide receivers don't always kind of have that array of ability, array of just sort of things in their toolbox, so to speak. So, Leggett, I mean, dude, is is he starting to get into that first-round conversation, you think? Like, I, I know he's kind of steadily, I think, middle of the year we were talking maybe third round, potentially. I hear announcers say, oh, that's a first-round pick. I think some of that's just them saying things. But um, it, he he has, he checks a ton of the boxes that you're looking for for a difference-making NFL wide receiver. It, it wouldn't be a shock if he did because, um, you know, I mean, I, I think about the fact that for guys with physical traits that have production to mat, you know, to match it or at least, you know, show the ability to produce, even if they haven't reached that potential based on their athletic tools, you know, it just takes a team to fall in love with you. I mean, Troy Williamson went, what, number seven overall, I think, in the first round. 
I think that's right. And he was a guy who could just fly, you know, and the production was not always there for him. But I think I did get a text during the game from somebody with a bunch of NFL scouting connections who just kind of came out and said, like, Xavier Leggett is a second or third rounder right now. And if he if he runs really well at the combine, he'll solidify second. And, and you never know what can happen. When you're in there, when you're in, like, second round range, you could always move up if a team falls in love with you as the market kind of continues to take shape. And his question was, like, I, I wonder – what Leggett will run at the combine. I'm like, he'll probably run pretty well, <laughs> I, I would think. You know I mean? This is a guy that's going to look like he looks, put what he's put on tape this season, and then in addition to that, he's probably going to go to the combine and run, what, four threes? I mean, low four fours. Like, at 6'2", 220, he might run, like, a four three eight. Like, would that be a surprise? No. It's probably more probable than not. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, some people call it the underwear Olympics where – teams get just caught up in the measurables and the physical traits that the thing that x has going for him is that he's gonna win as far as that part goes and he's gonna win when they turn on the film and you know he he doesn't quite have troy williamson speed you know at at the time troy was one of the fastest guys coming out and but I, i think you look and this is no offense to troy but look at the offense he was playing in at south carolina it was really not a diverse route tree at all. It's not that he's showing he can do this diversity of different things on the field, whereas Leggett is going to be able to show he can pretty much do it all. I think also throw in the special teams element, not that in, not that NFL teams are necessarily too concerned about that when it comes to their first-round picks, but at least that gives you a, a little bit of a – soft landing there like hey if he doesn't quite perform to what we're looking for as a second rounder we we've got this aspect where he can help in, in that part of the game as well and, and then just um I think the the cherry on top for these NFL guys too the when they see Leggett in person there there's a certain aspect to seeing this guy in person where you're like he's even bigger than he looks on TV and so I I think when NFL teams truly dive into what he is all about and then look at him physically they're gonna they're gonna move him up their boards I think yeah and I mean what what he's done this year has been awesome I I posed the question the other other day guys on the insiders forum of where is Xavier Leggett to you you know like in the pecking order there have been a lot of really good wide receivers who've come through South Carolina and from a statistical standpoint and like it is some of it's going to get lost because of the record of this team, right? If this was a team that was going to end up winning, you know, nine or ten games, I think he would have already ascended for even more for some people. So he's it's kind of being lost, like his impact. Um, but man, it, what he's done just statistically this one season, it, it's up there with some of the some of the greats, you know, in South Carolina history. Well, I think that's going to be the unfortunate thing looking back on this season, not only for Xavier Leggett, but Spencer Rattler as well. It's like, wow, you had these two guys playing really good football, and obviously Xavier dealt with the injuries in the past couple games, but, you know, hopefully South Carolina runs table, is able to go to a bowl game or at least get a 13th game out of it. But I think those are two guys that are going to be looking back on years from now saying, man, if we were just had X, Y, and Z around them, what could we have done with these guys playing at this level? Yeah, I think, man, this is going to be a, a what-if season, really, when people look back on it. 
I still maintain this would have been the best receiving core in South Carolina history if, if everybody was healthy. Is there any hope of maybe Juice coming back in the next couple of games? Anything you guys have heard? I mean, I'll, I'll lean just on, on what Beamer said yesterday. He's been running around, been moving around. Nobody seems to have a firm answer on you know what that would look like. Also, nobody can predict the future either. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think Juice obviously is going to have some decisions to make after the season as well. Uh, you know, as far as what his future is. But um, to answer your question, no, nothing specifically. You know, behind the scenes. Gotcha. We will uh, continue to react to what happened on Saturday. Also, get you set for some basketball action coming up with both men and women's in action today, right here on the game as Reaction Monday rolls along. Here on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Backfield, Rattler, handoff right side, Tonka Hemingway, reaching for it to go line. Touchdown, Carolina. <laughs> Touchdown, Tonka Hemingway. We haven't broken him out in a while on the special teams, and they set up a big backfield for number 91, and he spun and then held the ball out, and that's his first rushing touchdown of his career. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyra West and Chris with you on this Reaction Monday. That was the call. Todd Ellis on the Gamecocks Radio Network on Saturday. Tonka Hemingway scoring the first touchdown for the Gamecocks. As you mentioned, the first rushing touchdown of his career. And always love when you see one of the big guys getting in there on offense and being able to punch it in like that. Yeah, man. The uh, Kind of a cool way to reward your hardworking guys. And they actually busted this formation out last week at A&M, and they, I think they threw the touchdown pass to Josh Simon off of it. So at, at the time, or, or that personnel package, I don't know if everybody was lined up at the exact same spot this time around, but they busted out that personnel package. They bring in two defensive linemen. They bring in a sixth offensive lineman. And really, I, I think against A&M, it was kind of designed just to get their eyes all over the place. Like, all right, what what are they doing here? And then you go play action, and they threw it to Simon. This past week, they just handed it straight to the big man. And uh, cool moment for him. Not going to lie, at that point, I was like, I feel like this is going to be a good day for the Gamecocks. And it just uh, they just, again, couldn't quite get going on offense in the first quarter when they had a chance to kind of put that distance in between them and, and potentially force Jacksonville State out of what they want to do because like we talked about going in it's really hard to be an up-tempo team if you're down big because you feel like you're just kind of running to the line of scrimmage and then punting the ball right back to the other offense and giving them chance after chance after chance again to me it, it went back to lack of a running game up front well and and just generally you know and you made some other points made me think about something we were talking about earlier with, with complimentary football. I feel like that's another overused term this year. But it's something that for a team like South Carolina, you just have to do. right? You're not going to be able to rely consistently on just one side of the football. right? It was easy coming this year. Well, special teams will, will be a difference maker for South Carolina. It, at times they've made some plays there, but it, it has not been to the extent of last year offensively. Right, We came into this game saying, hey, they scored 37 points in the past two home games. You've got a Sunbelt team coming in, first year in FBS. You should be able to do that again. Wasn't quite the case, right? They were quite inconsistent in this game. And then defensively, we're all well aware of the issues that have plagued them for most of the season. And so 
you have to be a lot better at servicing each side of the ball. And if you just look at this game, they didn't do that. They could make a special teams impact, right? We talked about it going in. Hey, that's an area where, um, you know, Jacksonville State's offense is pretty tough. They got a pretty salty defense for their level. Special teams is an area where South Carolina has a lot of times feasted on outmatched teams. And they weren't able to do it. They did have the one play where they almost blocked a kick and the guy had to run it out. But Beamer said he felt like they were going to block not just one kick, but multiple <laughs> ones, right? And he was quite confident in that. They didn't do that. And then you were just very, very inconsistent on the other two sides of the football. And so their inability to play complementary football, you know, was a big thing in this game. And we talked about it earlier. You get, what, three or four stops to open the game, couldn't have gone any better, but you'd get just one score. And not only did you just get one score offensively, you didn't really move the football to where you could flip the field, pin them back deep. Yeah, I think there were opportunities to really just put this game away early. But once Jacksonville State kept hanging around, and then really I, I thought hitting a couple big plays down the field in the passing game kind of hurt you. And early on it felt like there were going to be some chances for South Carolina to maybe pin their ears back and, and get after them and, and kind of hit the quarterback. But then it, it felt like those opportunities were – I haven't gone back and looked at what every single third down was as far as down a distance, but it, it just felt like those opportunities were – fewer and fewer, you know, and far between. So, um, yeah, it's just got to be better, y'all. Like, that's the, the once again, kind of the the little execution points. Like, you're, you're there to make some of these plays, just have not really been able to finish them off. I feel like the we should get this mentioned in here before we uh, get out of here, but the offensive line came away fairly okay. Um, you did lose Casey Henry and Ja'Kai Moore at points of the game on Saturday, but didn't lose anybody new. Uh, coming away from the game, Trey Jones still out for yet another week. But overall, relatively healthy on the offensive line, which with the way the season's gone, thumbs up. Well, when Ja'Kai and Kaysen came out early, I was just like, what in the heck? Like, here they go again. Um, sounded like the one big injury from the game itself, uh, which they're waiting to hear more on, would be to carry on Joyner, mm-hmm. who went down with an ankle. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But... You know, offensive line, I didn't think there was a lot going on in the running game, but um, to give credit where it's due, pass pro was, was really pretty darn good this week. Like, there were chances to make plays and, and to make plays down the field, so kudos to those guys in that aspect because you do have a couple of pretty good defensive linemen on that Jacksonville State front. Yeah, four out of uh, Carolina's five offensive linemen graded out above 75%, according to Pro Football Focus, as far as pass, uh, pass blocking went on Saturday, and again, you saw that resonate with uh, Spencer Rattler coming one yard shy of throwing for 400 and uh, hopefully getting back on track for what can be a good uh, last couple of games of the season, throwing the ball. Hey, he's moving up the list, too, and uh, 10,000 career passing yards for Rattler. Yep. Um, He surpassed Dylan Thompson for ninth all-time just in passing yards at South Carolina, and um, I need to go back and do the math. He he had a shot to be way up there on the uh, single season mm-hmm. list as well. So, speaking of Spencer Rattler, he's actually going to be our guest on tomorrow's uh, Garnet Trust Hour, ten a.m. right here, one hundred seven five. The game Garnet Trust Hour. We will have Spencer Rattler, and we'll talk to him about how the season's gone, the ten thousand yard mark, and 
the final three games of the season. So it should be an interesting conversation, as it always is, with Spencer Rattler. Absolutely. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on this Reaction Monday. Going to have a little abbreviated halftime show coming up here with myself and Terry Ford, and then we'll get you out to Paris, France, as the South Carolina women's basketball team gets set to open its season against number 10 Notre Dame. Pre-game coverage is going to be starting right here on the game at 12.30 and tip off to start that uh, out there in Paris again, going to be coming up at 1 o'clock. And then that's not all. Got plenty more basketball as college basketball getting to full swing starting today. Going to have the men's basketball team in action coming up tonight against USC Upstate at home. Pre-game coverage for that game will begin at 6.30 and then a tip-off will be uh, at 7, which, of course, you can listen to right here on the game. We'll have more of your reactions to South Carolina and Jacksonville State as Reaction Monday rolls along here on the game. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.